It is gorgeous out, and I don't know about you guys, but I am ready to break out the grill tonight and make a summer feast. But first, a tip. Before grilling vegetables like asparagus or eggplant, chill them in ice water for a few minutes. When they come off the grill, they'll be moist and crisp. There's a lot of summer fun on this week's episode, starting with beer. We had the good fortune to hang out with Dogfish Head Brewery founder Sam Calagione in the recording studio this week, and he was willing to answer all our silly beer-related questions. Like, is it really better to drink beer out of bottles than cans? Later on the episode, we play a special smart home version of Stupid or Amazing. Kevin Dupsick tells us how to wash a tent, James Lynch puts his foot in a trash can, and Lara Sorokonich wears two different shoes. It's heating up in New York City, and your hosts are all going crazy. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler, and you're listening to the most useful podcast ever. This week for the most useful podcast ever, we have Sam Calagione, who is the uh, founder of Dogfish Head, and we're very excited to have him here. Uh, welcome to the office. I heard you brought beer. We're always excited I've come about bearing that. gifts, <laughs> bearing gifts. Um, so where where are you guys based? So we're based in coastal Delaware, just three hours from where we're sitting right now in the Rehoboth Beach area with a restaurant, brewery, distillery in Rehoboth, a big production brewery up the road in Milton, and then even a beer-themed harborfront hotel in Lewis, Delaware. Oh, okay. Awesome. I love Dogfish Head. It's one of my Aww, favorite beers. So. Do you remember you. we did the IPA test? We had the Dogfish. I think it was a 120 when we were already... Oh, we did. Really? We had the what uh, we tested. I don't know if uh, Matt Allen told like you this. We test. We drank 99 IPAs in a row. What? Uh, over did the you course record of, the whole thing? We did. We did. It was intense. And she had to listen to it, which is unfortunate <laughs> uh, for her. You had to edit it? It was, yeah, it was a little rough. Was but, it uh, like the oral? It was hilarious, though, was actually. It? Yes, it was It was pretty hilarious. <laughs> it was like the opposite of when man started as a fish and moved up from a monkey. It was to exactly the opposite, yeah. And it was like, I have to pee. I don't know what day is it help. In fact, our, our youngest editor asked if we thought he'd be a good bounty hunter, just out of nowhere. Out of nothing. <laughs> Um, so uh, unfortunately we don't have the time or the wherewithal to do that today, <laughs> but, um, I did want to ask you, you know, you being a, about the biggest beer expert we've had in here, uh, a few questions about sure. beer. So yeah. my first question is I've heard that letting beer get cold and then warm again and then cold again is the best way to skunk it. Uh, is that true? Yeah, I think so. I'd say it's probably the second best way to skunk it. First being put it in clear glass and put it out in the sun. That mm. will actually do it more damage more quickly. But I think uh, right up there is warm, cold, warm, cold. Basically, if you're uh, aging beers at home, so alcohol acts as a preservative and basically around 9 or 10 ABV, beers can actually evolve and gain complexity and be as ageable as the world's finest Bordeaux's, but the enemy of aging good beer is heat. So you want to do it somewhere dark and less than, say, 65 degrees. Okay, cool. And that's because it just, but the heat breaks it down or? It just accelerates the aging and you especially get oxidized and cardboardy flavors yeah. if, you, if you're leaving beer for too long at too warm a temperatures, especially lower alcohol beers. Yeah. yeah. I've definitely had some cardboardy beers. I don't know about you. Not, not a good luck. Not yeah, pleasant. No. Uh, do you have any questions, Kevin? Yeah, so I've been getting growlers a lot lately because a really nice place open by my apartment. Nice. Um, it just seems like if you don't drink the whole growler quickly, it gets, like the second half gets flat. I'm wondering if there's a way to avoid that. Ooh, that is a good one. And really, this the the once you've opened that uh, container up and taking a volume out of it, you're losing. You're really losing carbonation. I think that's why the Crowler took off, which is the can version of a mm -hmm. Growler, because you're not tempted once you open a can. There's no way to re-shut <laughs> re re it. But with a Growler, it's kind of big, and you might be 
tempted to, to put it back in your fridge. But really, I think growlers are best for opening once and, and sharing or not sharing, but ha- enjoying yeah. the whole thing in one session. Because it's not just the loss of carbonation that you hear when you open the growler, but even after you seal it with that much headspace at the top. Oh, because of the air now. Yeah, that, that's not going to be that pleasant for your beer. Are there, um, <laughs> the answer is get more friends. That's yeah, you need more <laughs> friends or smaller growlers. So I have one. I have another question. I know that a lot more craft breweries lately have started using cans. Is there any benefit to a bottle over a can other than looking cooler? Um, you know, there's there's folks that will say because there's zero percent chance of light getting through the the aluminum in the container. There's less, uh, you know volatility with with the beer itself in our in dogfish has a multi-million dollar qa lab with a full-time ph chemist phd and biology phd all the tests we're running is our canned beer and bottle of beer is equally durable and in blind tastings you can't get the difference you get a definitely a big perception difference if you drink a beer out of a can versus um especially if you decant a beer into a uh, glass mm-hmm. uh, because you don't realize how much of what you're perceiving as drinking beer is actually coming through your your nose. Um, so mm-hmm. that's what I think some folks miss when they're like, oh, I don't like canned beer as much. They're not realizing that uh, it's because you're drinking it in a, rece- in, a, in a container that doesn't allow your nose to really interact with it the way it would uh, in a glass. The other thing that is a definite objective advantage to cans is the potability that after a day out hiking or biking or backpacking, you can crush the container that you brought your beers in with and take them out in a way more compact way. Cool. And then uh, one last question, which is a question that we come across in the office all the time because we wait until five o'clock and realize we want beers. Uh What is the best way to make beer cold fast? The best way, that's a great question. Um, I would say your best thing to do is get a cooler and and not just fill it up with ice. Fill it up by volume just over the, the height of whatever beers you have in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, halfway with ice and halfway with water because the contact surface area of just ice hitting those glasses or cans, Mm. you're not going to get the immediate speed down as you would if 100% of the cold is hitting it. So even though you're technically warming up the ice a little bit by introducing cold water in there, you're actually cooling the water to such a degree that it accelerates how quickly you're cooling the beer. That sounds like a good idea. Should you move the beers around so that the beer inside... Yes, (laughs) Yes, you should always be tilting them upwards against your lip while they're open. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you for all that advice. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thank you for coming. Cheers. We thought we would play our old game that we haven't played in the longest time on this podcast, which is Stupid or Amazing. Yes. A couple of months ago, we published our Smart Everything issue in which Alex George went to Uh, great pains to figure out what the coolest things are that are smart, uh, smart appliances, smart cars. Uh, And I brought Kevin Dupsick and Peter Martin in to uh, play Stupid or Amazing with Alex George. Can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Alex, you're going to just name for us a few of the things that were in the issue. Also, does Uh, this prove that we may not have read the issue recently? (laughs) That we're being so quizzed on the, t- the, the episode topic in which Alex George's feelings get very hurt. I read all of your stories. <laughs> Thank I you. love them. Uh, so we'll take we'll look at a couple of them that are at are up for debate, and you know maybe uh, I'll be curious to see what you guys think, and if it's you know made better by being smarter, or if it's actually just want, overcomplicating. It. I want dumb everything. 
I just want dumb stuff. <laughs> That's what I want. Okay, so what should we start with? Okay. So I'm going to tell you, do you need a smart oven? No. <laughs> an, an oven has two controls. You turn the thing to bake, and then you turn the thing to a temperature. And also, I don't need anything else. You, aren't you supposed to be close to an oven when you're cooking? That's a good, good way to, to burn your house down, I think. Yeah. yeah. I would say no to a smart oven, no. Okay. personally. One of the writers for this talked about how he ran, he had two you know, side-by-side ovens, and he ran them both on the clean, cy- clean cycle simultaneously, and it fried for the chips sure. that were in it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, that's one of my big things about, that's one of my litmus test is, tests for smart devices is there's some things where I don't want to make it easier to break them. The oven, yeah. I don't want to have the oven break. So if you add more parts that can break down, anti. Okay. So, so what'd we say, stupid? Yes. So I should issue the caveat. In the next few years, you're probably not going to be able to buy a new one and not have it be smart. And that goes for pretty much all appliances. They're all going to have so some the, kind of So the answer is, even if it's stupid, you have to have it. Yeah. And you'll like even it. Even though and I can like no longer it. lose this game, I still lose. <laughs> we all still lose. Yeah. Yeah. And everything you're saying about, you know, it's going to make it harder to repair, all that's absolutely true. Um, okay. So the next one, a smart mattress. Kevin, wait, Kevin, I, I don't know, Kevin was rolled his eyes so hard. I think we could hear it in our headphones, actually. Now, the functionality All you of this, do is lay on a mattress. I, I like just it. Don't... I want it. If it reads my body What's and adjusts. Do? What if it finds like pressure points? Or I, As an old man, I have been very <laughs> sore when I wake up lately. And so if there was a... I don't know what the smart mattress does, but if it's going to adjust to me and to the way that I'm sleeping, then I'm in. Correct. And then it, it does Correct. that point. And it... <laughs> Has functionality like if it'll if you're you know uh, someone in the development world knows if you're snoring and it'll be able to you know adjust you or tilt you back something like that. Uh, but yeah, the main idea is to have it be kind of like a large fitness tracker for you're sleeping. Again, I'm I feel like Kevin and I are are both like squarely in the luddite camp. The, I think we're the most luddite in this office. Most luddite, but yeah. here's what I would say about it is: Do you know how um, bullet points automatically appear in your Microsoft Word and it makes you totally <laughs> crazy? crazy? Yeah. This is how I feel a smart mattress is going to be. It's like, oh, you're snoring. Yeah, I'm going to do this, and then you're in like a V shape, and you're like, stop <laughs> it! Like, I yeah. don't want to be like that. Yeah. And that's how I feel. Like you're gonna you're gonna just be moved around. And you're like, I hate this stupid. Like old stop, try, stop trying to think for me. That's how I feel about it. <laughs> the Murphy yeah. bed just goes up with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It should just push snores right off the bed. Just push them on the easy. floor, wake yeah. them up that way. Yeah. <laughs> with Machines the revolt. <laughs> this is what Elon Musk was talking about. They're going to revolt. And they're going <laughs> to hurt us that way. Um, so we said these were, these were amazing? I think, well, okay. So as a guy who will try pretty much anything related to sleep that will try and help you in some way. Yeah. I do like the, uh, the idea of um, certain sleep uh, systems that will regulate the temperature that come in. And that's more of like a HVAC system for your mattress, but it cools it down for you. I think that's a really, I think that's a clever idea because I hate being hot when I sleep. The cooling thing's pretty good. I when like the, that When idea. the cooling thing is available at a reasonable price, that I could get behind. The last one, a smart door lock. I like this one. I have to say, I I think it's nice to be able to. This is the thing I like the most is that you can let someone else in, correct, remotely. Yeah. Whenever that scenario comes up, like think about all the times where like you forgot your keys and your roommate's not home and you got to call them and see where they are and forget what to do while you wait. If you could just get on your phone and be like, no, unlock it for me or unlock it for my roommate. Fantastic. I'm yeah. pro that as well. I actually had a situation where I tried to get keys for a friend who was staying at my apartment it's for the weekend. Pain. And the, well, I got the keys made, but one of them wasn't exactly perfect. And she couldn't get in and had to come meet me in the city with her suitcase. And I felt terrible. And this that this would completely eliminate that problem. So I'm, I, uh, I say it's amazing. I don't like it. 
<laughs> I think it's only a matter of time until criminals learn how to use it. And granted, I don't have anything really worth it, but once this stuff is ubiquitous, then one guy figures it out. It's like a $20 thing that you buy on the on the street, and then you can get it anybody, get into anybody's house with a oh, so lock. Like, but it'll way, also like, tell you when, right? It'll also tell you when somebody's gone in. Like, what so do you I call the cops. You just put a smart camera over it, and then you take their picture, and then you give that to the cops. And you get insurance, and they pay for your new stuff. No. Peter's <laughs> like, no, won't do it. Yeah. I, I, my one question is, because I don't know how these work exactly, like when they break, your lock is still locked. Correct, right? yeah. Okay. The big name ones, like uh, like the August Smart Lock, that's the one that you know, we had in the magazine. They thought of all that, and there's redundancies. They, yeah. you know, it's, all, and it's all pretty convenient, too. But it, it basically attaches over an existing deadbolt, and it'll, you know, it'll default to keeping the door locked as opposed to you know, unlocking every door and, uh, yeah. or anything like that. That's good. So, yeah, I'm going to say those are amazing, and it doesn't matter if we think they're amazing or not because we're all, gonna have them. We're all going to have them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whether you like it or not. Kevin Dupesick's on the podcast today to talk about his extremely dirty tent. It is. It's really dirty. Um, How did your tent get so dirty? Well, you, you normally set it up on dirt, Jackie. So it's just the bottom that's dirty? No, I've been. There was a couple times where it like rained and you're under a tree, and then so stuff leaks out of the tree onto it. Um, and then there's also been a few times where like I've had to pack up during the rain, or mm. where it was like had just rained, so it's like a little bit muddy, mostly on the bottom. But then there's just basically no way to roll it up and pack it without having that dirt and mud spread to every other part. Um, and I, there's also a little bit of discoloration on it, which. So I, so my tent's a big Agnes tent. I love it. So I called them to ask how to wash it because I tried washing it on my own and I realized it's actually pretty hard. Um, Wait, how did you try to wash it? What did you do? Well, the first thing I did is I took the rain fly in the tent and then there's like a tarp that's made just for this tent because it's, it's like a backpacking lightweight tent. And I like hosed them down and then I got this uh, special wash that they recommend on their website that I'll tell you more about. And I tried to just kind of sprinkle it on and then spray the tent and sort of rub it with my hands or a sponge. But it, yeah, I didn't like stake the corners down. So that was stupid because then I just moved it all around all <laughs> over the place. And they got dirtier. Yeah. And then I tried setting it up and then washing it and like hand washing the sides while it was like popped out because then there'd be some tension on the fabric and stuff. But that wasn't really useful either. Um, so then what I did, which actually is something they recommended, is I just put it in the bathtub. Um, this tent that I have in particular has like a strip of LED lights. Mm -hmm. um, so you have to seal off the electronics somehow. But I put it in the bathtub, put some of the wash in, let it soak, kind of agitated it with my hands. That's probably what I would have done first, I think. Well, I, I'm not good at these kinds of things. <laughs> um, but I called them up because I want to know what's the right way to do this. And also, so here's the thing that um, they told me when I called is that a lot of you know good tents have special finishes for waterproofing or UV protection. So like... There actually is a really big concern that you don't want to strip that stuff away because then it decreases the lifespan of the tent. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'll start you with the best case scenario for how to wash your tent. You have a front-loading washing machine because you don't want anything top-loading with an agitator or can tear up the tent. Right? Okay. So you have a front-loading machine that's probably oversized because you don't want to pack it in really tight. Um, you, you fold the tent inside out or flip it inside out and then zip all the doors up so that way all the like attachment points and loops and latches and stuff on the outside of the tent or inside so they mm -hmm. won't catch on anything you throw it in the washer and then um so they recommend using a special wash they like this company called nick wax because they said it's just pretty environmentally friendly mm -hmm. but nick wax makes three washes one that's just like a general wash for gear 
It's called TX Direct. Then they make one called Solar Wash, which washes the tent and then also applies like a UV protecting layer. Oh, cool. And then another one called Solar Proof, which waterproofs and UV protects. Okay. So you use that like detergent. You put it in the washing machine, you wash it. No, no heat because you don't want to take a chance of melting anything, but you just put it in a non-agitating washer, cold water with a little bit of this wash. That's best case scenario. That's what you should do. Okay. Um, if you don't have the special wash, they say ideally don't use detergent. Use like a mild hand soap or something because you just really want to not strip off any of those coverings. Like one of those soaps they use to wash like birds that get covered in oil. Right. Dawn, is that what they use for that? that yeah, work? I think Dawn is one of the ones that's really that's really mild. Like a gentle one. Yeah, okay. something, something really gentle. Okay. And then if you don't have access to a washing machine like this, then you can do the bathtub thing. If you need to scrub or anything, they say, especially if it's like a thinner nylon for a lighter tent, Mm -hmm. um, you don't want to use like the abrasive side of a sponge. Like just use the soft side, be really gentle with it. So then I asked like, okay, well, what if you have some kind of spot cleaning? Like I've gotten sap on tents before and it's a nightmare. This I hadn't thought about. They said, okay, so first of all, if you have like alcohol wipes that can help dissolve it. But if that, if it's really bad, it's sort of like when you get gum in your hair, you can put the tent in the freezer Oh, until I just it really it off. hardens, yeah, and then you can like peel it off once it's like crystallized. Oh, that's a like, good idea. It, which I would never have a million years. How would that work of. if you had gum in your hair? Well, you put ice on it. You never no. did this to your kid. No, you put ice on it so it's really oh, frozen. Like you put and then your you can head in the freezer, or <laughs> I mean, maybe I don't know. But uh, so the other thing though that I asked about because this is always tricky is drying it, right? Um, if you put the tent away wet, she said that's like one of the worst things you can do, just because like mildew builds up and it right. also eats away at the finish and stuff. So drying it, she said, like, you don't want to put it on dirt or rocks or anything that'll tear it, especially if there's a chance that wind comes up. So, like, laying it on grass is probably the ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, you can lay it out flat until it's mostly dry and then pop it up to get it the rest of the way dry, but make sure you stake it down so it doesn't blow away. Right. But the key thing that I wouldn't have thought of, because my thought would be just get it in the sun, get some sunlight on it, which is warm, and we'll dry it faster. Because the UV protection, you don't want to... You know, you don't want to expose it to too much sun if you can help it. Mm-hmm. You actually want to pop it up like in the shade, like put oh. it up under a tree and just give it more time. But that way it stays what out ab- of the sun. What about like a, uh, if you happen to have a clothesline, would that be decent or no? Yeah. So she said clothesline's a great idea, um, but you don't want to put the clothespins on mesh because mesh will tear more easily. So uh. you want to keep the clothespins on nylon and then you're good. Cool. Well, this sounds good. Is your So your tent's clean now? I might have to wash it again after <laughs> after hearing all these tips. I'm actually going camping twice in the next month. So maybe after that, I'll, I'll wash it. Right. Yeah. Good idea. Roy Berenson is back on the podcast today, which I'm really excited about. It's been a while. Yeah, Jackie, it has been a while. And huh? you're like you're like a very special guest. Everyone gets excited when you're going to be on. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. So Roy's our senior home editor, and it is lawn season. So we oh, thought yeah. we would ask you uh, what is the biggest thing people should be doing right now to make sure their lawn looks great for the summer. Yeah, you know, Jack, it's the little things in life, the simple things in life are always the best, it seems like. Uh, you know, and hence this tip, raise your deck up. Raise the mower deck up uh-huh. to the second highest or even the highest setting. And what that does is you're, you're they, they call it the leaf, not the blade of grass, oh. the, the leaf. Um, you want a tall leaf that does several things. For one thing... It's got more more surface area for photosynthesis. Mm-hmm. That tall leaf actually provides more shade uh, to the to the ground below, which reduces uh, heat stress and uh, prevents weed growth. 
so you're shading out the weeds. It's like a forest. It's like, think of... Uh, a forest think, of grass. Yeah, a forest of grass. So think of that very dense forest. Lots of lots of. think of like tiny ladybug people. Yeah, yeah. Tiny ladybug people down there. They can't get a <laughs> suntan, you know, because that the tall leaf is providing shade. Uh, so it's shading out the soil, keeping the soil cooler. Keeping the soil cooler also reduces uh, evaporation mm -hmm. out of the soil. You want to keep the moisture in the soil. And the tall leaf also retains more moisture. So it has lots of good effects, and there's no downside. That, that's counter to what the average person tends to think of as a properly mowed lawn. They, they, they want to set that mower way down, you know, to like putting green height. Mm -hmm. But the average cool season grass in the United States is not healthy at that height. This sounds fairly simple. You lift your mower deck. Yeah, yeah. What simple. What are some other things that people need to worry about in the summer with grass? A lot of things. Uh, grass needs a lot of moisture mm -hmm. at the height of the summer, and the windier the conditions are and the hotter, the more moisture it loses. Obviously, wind blowing over grass evaporates more moisture, mm -hmm. so you need to replenish that. At the very least, a healthy lawn will require um, an inch of water a week. That's a good rule of thumb. And what about pests? So I know when we were first talking about this, you mentioned you mentioned having some really horrific grub stories. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> lawn, lawn pests. This is like something out of a science fiction, you know, novel. I kept getting a dead area on the lawn. Grabbed the shovel, a shovel, pardon me, went out there and turned over a, a plot of grass about the size of a pizza box, let's just say. And it was like something out of a science fiction movie. It was just writhing with grubs. Oh, yeah, grubs, do dozens of grubs. You know, and I dug down a little deeper, and it was pretty much the same result. So Grubs all the way down. Grubs all the way down. Yeah. Like a foot down. It was like more, <laughs> more grubs than dirt. You know, it was gross. What'd you do? Well, you treat it with a grub-killing insecticide. But I have to be honest here, too. It, it, once you get an infestation at that level, it, it needs professional treatment. Your chances are good um, a homeowner-grade grub insecticide is, is not going to do it. Right. You need the nuclear insecticide. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you, you need it. Or you're just going to end up, you know. Could you dig it all out and reseed it? Yeah, well, you could. You'd need an excavator. You have to get a licensed uh, lawn chemical company. Uh, like your your the people that cut grass mm -hmm. uh, in most states are not licensed to also apply lawn chemicals. That's a uh, m some of them are. They they go out and get licensed to fertilize and apply various you know herbicides and insecticides. But that's a separate license than just the business license necessary to cut grass. So I'll take one look at your lawn and, and know what the problem is. But that was my first experience with a grub infestation. I, you know, I didn't know, you know, I was too late to recognize, you know, the dangers. Signals. The dangers of grubs. The, I, you know what? You should pitch that to Hollywood. Grubs. Grubs. The, the scariest summer movie of 2017. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. It so. all starts with your lawn. Oh, no. Time again for your favorite segment on the most useful podcast ever, Matt Facts. Mm. It was Nat, Nat Facts, right? You sure? No, Matt Facts. Okay. All yeah, right. I think it was Matt Facts. Matt Facts.
Well, Kevin, you have some math facts. Yeah, actually, there's a lot of there's a lot of different maths. I don't know if you guys realize this. Oh, so no, I'm, well, yes, actually. Okay, so two things. One is rubber mats. We're all pretty familiar with these, and I'm going to tell you how to clean them. And the thing that I thought was funny is that I looked up a yoga mat. I think a lot of people have those, or a wrestling mat. A lot of people. And are, nobody wipes them off. You know, like a gym or something, right? Like people are familiar with it. So the funny thing I thought was that if you look at people online who are like, "How do I clean like the wrestling mat or the mat at my gym?" Like, you know, the people who would do wrestling, they're like, oh, just get some bleach, put it in water. And then here's the cool thing is that you get a lawn sprayer and you can like mist over a whole mat really quickly. Ooh. But then all the yoga people, because they're hippies, are like, bleach is terrible for your skin. You'll probably get a rash. So in this case, they say you put like two drops of tea tree oil <laughs> in like a water bottle and, and use that the, to spray your mat. And that's the difference between yogis and, and wrestlers. Yeah, that's it. That in a nutshell. More MRSA for wrestlers. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and then I wanted to tell you guys about my favorite mat. It's called Marston Mat. Do either of you guys know what this is? No. Oh. Okay. Marston Mat is, the real name is uh, Pierced Steel Plank. So during World War II in the Pacific Theater, we're like going and fighting on all these islands, right? And we needed to be able to get equipment and troops and use like our air power out there. But there's, there's no runways on these islands. And you can't take a plane out there if it's not a safe place to land it. So the military had to develop a way to build a runway quickly in the field. So they decided, like, oh, what if we put down these giant steel plates on the ground and just made a smooth landing surface? But that's really heavy. It doesn't allow drainage. Um, so, like, if water gets on it and stuff, it stays slick. So they poke all these holes in it, and you get basically this giant perforated sheet. So, pure steel plank. They called them Marston mats because when they first tested it, it was near Marston, one of the Carolinas. I'm going to say North Carolina. <laughs> um, and so they, they tested it there first. But this was, this was so useful. They made 2 million tons of it over the course of the war. And at first it took like 11 days to build a runway with it, but they got so good at it that you could put a whole airfield in the hold of one ship, sail to an island, and in three days have a, an airfield set up. Wow. Made That's of this incredible. plank. And there's so much of it that if you go, apparently, if you go to a lot of places in the Pacific now, you can find it, it's just been repurposed because it's so durable as like walls and fences and stuff by the people who just live on these islands now. Cool. That's and that's been, that's been Mad Facts. For today's testing table on the most useful podcast ever, we had the staff talk about their shoes. Pretty much everybody is uh, having sweaty feet and everyone's been talking about their fancy shoes they've been trying out. James Lynch will not stop talking about Packhams. I'm not ashamed. Uh, which are a camp shoe of some sort, I believe. And then Lara Sorokonis has her own wool something or other shoes. Yes. I think it's crazy to wear in the middle of June. Yeah, they're called Allbirds, and they're made out of merino wool. I think they're like 100 okay. or 120, okay. somewhere in that range. So I made the fool's mistake of not testing these out two days ago when it was 95 degrees outside, but I have been testing them yesterday and today when it's like high 70s low 80s the point is supposed to be that they like regulate your temperature and I'm not gonna say that like I feel cool in them while I'm walking in them it definitely still feels like you're wearing an enclosed thing on your foot mm -hmm. in the hot weather mm -hmm. but so Jackie made me Jackie and Kevin asked me to walk around with one shoe of a normal sneaker, which is a white New Balance that is my go-to sneaker, and then one shoe of this Allbirds sneaker. The first thing I noticed within the first couple of minutes, and I'm still wearing one of each shoe right now, is 
the wool <laughs> James sneaker. James is looking under the table. The it's wool true. sneaker <laughs> is definitely not experiencing the sweatiness of the regular sneaker. Which is all leather too, right? Your New Balance? Right. My New Balances are all leather with like a rubber insole with a little bit of fabric on the top. Um, so definitely not the same kind of sweatiness. Like I can feel my, the bottom of my foot getting sweaty in my regular New Balance sneaker. Whereas in this Merino wool sneaker, there's like no sweatiness noticeable. Um, you're not, you don't have to wear socks with your, uh, Allbirds. That's like a big point. And would you buy the shoe? Yes. And they come in super cute colors. I'm just going to throw that out I, there. I'm kind of pro. Do they do men's like shoes? They have men's shoes. They also have um, loungers, which are just like, oh, like a normal slip-on slip loafer oh. thing, oh. Um, which I'm extremely intrigued by. I am also very intrigued, Allbirds. Dot, dot, dot. Stop trying to scam shoes. What? Nothing. Um, okay, so let, tell me about your... First of all, tell me about the Packhams, because I should just say that James Lynch has been saying the word Packhams probably 10 times a day. I'm going to say... A, for two months. For a long time. Two least. months is an extreme amount of time. That's hyperbole. Uh, very cool company. Spells Packhams without a C. Packhams. P-A-K-E-M-S. All right. Would, let me start off with, would I wear Packhams on an average day? No. Would I wear Packhams to the park? No. Would I wear them in public on a first date? No. Okay. They're kind of ugly, but they're like the ugly duckling in that they have <laughs> a job and they do it, and I really respect that. It's The Packham is a shoe for like backpacking or camping, or I think one of their big things is if you're going skiing, you don't want to walk around with your boots on all day as you're doing your opera ski. Or if you get done hiking, you don't want to be walking around your boots all day long in your campsite. So what Packhams are is a small... <clears throat> like slim, lightweight, waterproof, which we're going to test today because I okay. got a bucket of water here. Okay. Shoe with a nice solid rubber sole. Let's that see you how can, heavy these are. You can, I think it's like seven ounce or something like that. Um, the inside of the, it feels like a slipper almost, yeah. which is what you'd think you'd want at your campsite. Exactly. Like I normally just bring some flip-flops or some socks or whatever. Right. Um, but you know, like like mild shoes, hanging out shoes like what Lara's got over there. But these do have some grip on them. So, all right, let's... Yeah. So, so what are we going to... How are we going to test this? What are we testing? Um, well, they say they're waterproof, and so I'm, I got a bucket of water here, and I'm going to put them on and put my foot in the bucket of water and tooling around with these, and I think they're pretty cool, and as long as they are waterproof, like I was a backpacking guide for a while, and I was a canoeing guide for a while, and I used to bring Sperry's, and my feet would get super sweaty, and they weren't waterproof, and they're... Mm-hmm kind of heavy and this to me is a really intriguing substitute for that okay. and they pack up pretty small and they have a little bungee cord where they can uh like wrap up in there yeah they look ridiculous Guys, they look, they're super ugly no, they're, they're pretty ugly. super ugly they're yeah. like so they're like a rubber black bottom and then the upper is like this really sad looking gray quilted material it's like the thing your dad wears to go like move the wood around or, or, at yeah. the wood pile oh, totally. out back totally. on like a saturday morning with yeah. like two short shorts and like ugly old t-shirt this, and you're like dad oh, jesus man. put something different oh my like, god see my dad's shoes for that are crocs this yeah, okay, so see, there you a go. lot of people use crocs as camp shoes i could never i didn't like crocs and they're also not waterproof so like this would fit that same crocs category are water, i mean Crocs your, are waterproof. We'll let you just dry it can, off. Can we see? Let's yeah. see if these are waterproof. Also, let's see. Check out that pocket, by oh, the way. Oh, they do have a pocket. Can you put your credit card in there or something? I don't know. All right. Okay. Boot is in the water. <laughs> um, okay. I just need to describe this for listeners here. Um, James Lynch just set his foot in a bucket of water, and it's a trash can full of water. He's now sitting with one foot in a trash can and the other foot on the ground. If these are trash, dro- trash, trash juice proof, 
That's how you know. Oh, if you're going to, I hope you don't have trash juice on your foot after this. Oh, no, I'm good. These are actually doing great. They're Gore Tex, apparently. And okay. it has waterproof how? stitch in the side of it. So, I mean, that's confidence right there. All right. I mean, I, my, it is, if you, it is completely over the toe of the boot. Like, we're up to tongue level. Let's see here. Like, that's, here. that's not a soft. Oh, that's test. like a that's solid. Like a, we're I in mean, there. you, yeah. I'm that doing is... it. We're going for it. If you're going to say Guess waterproof. What? Your foot is in a solid four inches, four to five inches of water. Totally. I would say. No leaks? No leaks. I'm dry. This feels like a Pampers okay. commercial. I that's I'm impressed. So okay, so would you buy these packums? I think the answer is yes, clearly. Um yes, I would buy. They're 40 bucks, which is okay. pretty cheap, especially for a waterproof shoe, yeah. I think, and especially what they're doing. I would I I think I would buy them. I'm just I'd be throwing happy to have this these. out there. Uh we bought my dad a pair of Crocs for Father's Day because he yeah. loves them and they're 34.99, so but so not these wa- are, I mean, these are clearly better than Crocs. So, I, I mean, yeah. if, we gotta get Mario Batali if you're putting on 35, train, we should get Mario Batali yeah. and try pack them. I don't know if these are clearly better than Crocs, but I'm just saying for price comparison's sake. Sure. sure. I, if you're going to put a shell I, out for Crocs, think, you might as well get Packams. I think Crocs uh, have their own place in the world. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Maybe not at a It's been a minute. My, my is foot your foot dry? Still in here. Still super dry. I'm impressed. I'm pretty impressed. I'm impressed. It's like the dry foot... The, the official dry testing foot test. Table. Official <laughs> testing table of dry feet. Of dry feet. That's what trash cheese sounds like. Ew. <laughs> and that's the sound of a dry foot. No, oh, there's a Band-Aid in there. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so that's our show. The Most Useful Podcast Ever is produced by the staff of Popular Mechanics and edited by Jesse Wright-Mendoza. We'd like to thank Sarah Bentley and Andy Bowers from Panoply and Popular Mechanics Editor-in-Chief Ryan D'Agostino. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes. And while you're there, leave us a comment. We'd love to know what you think. And if you want to read more about grilling, you should check out our website, popularmechanics.com. While you're there, you can subscribe to the print and digital edition of Popular Mechanics magazine for just $13.99 a year. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler. Thanks for listening.